Next hymn this morning, number 156. 156, for Christ and the church. <clears throat> and again, we'll sing the first three verses. First three verses. <coughs> After this hymn, Brother Jerry Fry will have our scripture reading. For Christ and the church, there are voices. Ring that us all in the name of our own blessed King. Let us work with our will in the strength of good and boldly stand for the kingdom of truth. like to read along. <clears throat> the reading that Chris has chosen this morning is taken from Philippians 4 verses 15 through 18. Philippians 4 verses 15 through 18. Now you Philippians, I know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Would you bow with me as we go to God in prayer, please? Kind and gracious Father, we come into your presence, Father, thankful for your majesty and your goodness and Father, your mercy. Father, continue to be with the church here and for every endeavor that we make to do good. I ask that your blessings be upon that. 
be with our leaders as they strive to shepherd the flock here and help us to give deference to them and to help whenever we can, Father, as best we can, and help us to always look and try to fine-tune and tweak our lives, Father, realizing that we fall short many times and we have sin in our lives and that we can do better and help us to be lovers and followers of truth and hunger and thirst after righteousness, Father. We uh, fall short so many times. We're flawed and weak and help us to do better, Father. Father, we pray for the sake of the congregation that you will be with all those uh, that are battling COVID and be with Anthony Blake and pray that uh, you'll be with those that are battling cancer, be with Jennifer Baker and be with Hank Picklesheimer's wife, Lisa, and just pray that uh, you'll be with, there's so many that are battling cancer. Jim Haney, pray that you'll be with him and there's so many that are uh, battling viruses at this time. Just pray that you'll be with all those that have been mentioned this morning in our Bible class. Father, there are so many. Our prayer list is extensive at this time. Continue to be with Gary and pray for a, a full and complete recovery for him. And also mindful of Rod Dunphy's mother this morning. Just pray that you would, she be comforted and be with Rod and his family and strengthen them, Father. Continue to be with uh, the Pittman and the McAllister families uh, that are bereaved at this time. Just pray that uh, you'll give Heather and her family a safe trip uh, to and back from Alabama. Just be with them and bless them. Father, continue to be with the church here and this holiday season that we get ready to enter into. Uh, all those that will be traveling, just pray that you'll give them safe passage and return them back to us, Father. Continue to be with us, and thank you for every visitor that we have this morning. And if there be one in attendance that's considering putting your son on in baptism, it is my prayer that they do this this very day, that salvation be brought down to them. Continue to be with us, Father, and thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's through him that I ask all these things. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 511, Oft We Come Together, 511. And then Brother Dwight will have our, our Lord's Supper. Oft we come together, oft we
Passover feast was prepared in the upper room just as Jesus had instructed Peter and John to go and make ready. Christ being the Lamb of God without sin established a communion meal that his followers remember him and the sacrifice that he was preparing to make for, for us. He spoke of his death and his burial and his resurrection, but the disciples, they didn't fully understand these things at the time that he was telling, telling them. In Luke chapter 22, verse 17 through 20, it says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we gather together this day as your church, we honor the memory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We think of the things that happened in the upper room that he prepared his disciples and instructed us, Lord, that we should remember our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we partake of the bread this morning, Help us to remember his broken body that was broken for us and the sacrifices that he made to redeem us from our sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's pray again. Our Father in heaven, we remember Christ and his sacrifice through the blood that was shed. This fruit of the vine, Christ said, would represent his blood, and we would remember him until his return. We thank you, Lord, for blessing us and, and being with us, Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our communion service, and um, while the ushers are still here on the floor, we uh, we are collect are going to collect our uh, 
our offering today, and let's, let's go to God in prayer as we prepare. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that we are rich, richly blessed as a church and as a people. We thank you, God, for everything that you, you do in our lives. And, and we uh, give back a portion, Lord, of what you have blessed us with, and we are thankful for this. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 572, Send the Light, 572. We'll sing the first three verses of this song also. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. There's a call comes ringing for the restless way. Send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls. Send the light, send the light, and 
Invitation hymn this morning, number 103, Come to Jesus, 103. It's time for the Christian. Good morning. We are uh, on Sunday nights walking through a series on uh, worship, and we're exploring the different aspects of worship. So I thought it was appropriate since uh, we do our contributions on Sunday mornings and with our special needs giving coming up next week. Uh, that we will uh, talk about giving today. And so we wanted to look at giving from uh, as an act of worship. Because it is. It's an act of, of worship. It's just as much of worship as singing uh, or as praying is. And so I thought we might want to look through some of the uh, qualifications uh, of giving. Some of the things that we need to think through as we, as we think about giving. We've got an odd relationship with money. Just people in general have an odd relationship with money because of what Scripture says, how we should feel about it. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. You're, you're familiar with this passage, I'm sure. You probably quote it uh, on a regular basis. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, the love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He says money's not something you want to hold on too tight to. It's dangerous, um, especially for the Christian. We don't hold on too tight to it. We don't trust it for sure, right? As you look back at some of the ancient kings of Israel, they trusted in things that didn't hold them up very well. Um, if a foreign power was coming in to invade Israel, they would often look to the neighbors who were stronger than they were for support. And interestingly enough, God calls those neighbors on several occasions broken reeds. Have you ever been out walking and you picked up a stick and you started trying to walk with it? My kids do that a lot when we go hiking. They'll look for the perfect walking stick. And there's an awful lot of qualifications that the perfect walking stick must meet. <laughs> but one of the big ones is it's got to be able to stand up a little bit. It's got to be able to hold your weight a bit. And so every now and then they'll pick up one and that thing will just, it'll fall apart as they pick it up. Have you ever done that? You ever picked up a stick and it just kind of falls apart as you pick it up? It's rotten from the inside out, right? It looks fine on the outside, but when you go to lean on it, it won't support you. That's the way God talks about a lot of these foreign powers that the Israelites would go to looking for support against a neighboring invading force. He says these things are broken reeds. You don't trust those things, those, those foreign powers, because they won't hold you up. They won't, they won't support you like you think they will. Often we have the exact same relationship with money. We look to it for support. We put our trust in it. And he says, this thing just will not support you. It's a broken reed. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. 
Here's another passage I'm sure you're familiar with. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And we're all on board with that, right? That, that all makes sense to us. But in what context is he telling us this? Well, read the rest of what he says. You cannot serve God and money. And so he's saying, you, you have a God. Is it Yahweh or is it money? And these, even in his world in the first century, were the two big options. And there are certainly still two big options in our world today. So which one will you serve? You can't, can't serve both of them. And so when he starts talking about money, we, we have a little bit of a strained relationship with money, don't we? Flip over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The Hebrew writer says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we've got a bit of a strained relationship with money. And that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because God does say repeatedly throughout Scripture, this is not something that's going to hold you up. You go looking for support. You don't go looking for money. Who do you run to? Well, you run to the exact same source that he expected the Israelites to run to. You run to him for support, right? You don't, you don't trust this thing because, because this thing will not hold you up. Your, 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 the money in your wallet, the, the cards that you have, they won't hold you up and they won't support you. They're not worthy of your worship, but often we feel that way, don't we? On the other side of the coin, though, Money makes our world go round, doesn't it? We have to pay the bills. We talked about that last week with work and really the, the necessity of work and what, what it's really good for. And one of the things it's good for is to provide for our family as well as helping those who are weak. One of the things it's also good for is supporting the church. And so we have a strained relationship with money because God says, you don't love it. You don't trust in it. You trust in me. Don't, don't, no, don't allow money to take my spot on the throne. Because it can. Because it has in the past. With a lot of people. And in our own lives, right? He says, so, so don't, don't allow money, that vaunted role in your life. But also, in the back of our heads, we know that on occasion we need it, Right? And at least we need some of it, but we can't love it, right? And that, that's really what he's trying to get across in 1 Timothy 6. Money itself is neutral. It doesn't, it's not evil, it's not good, it's how you think about it. And so how are you thinking about it? Well, that's really the key issue, and that's what he's trying to get you to think through, is how, how do you think about money? And so that's, that's kind of what we wanted to think about today, um, is how, how we think about money. Because we can't love it, and we can't be so attached to it, and we certainly can't give it a vaunted role in our lives, certainly not the role that God should play as our support system and as our, the only one who can hold us up and hold us together. It, it doesn't have that power, and it will let you down every single time, like all those kingdoms that Israel ran to for help, let them down every single time. Money will let you down every single time. It just doesn't have that kind of power, but he does. But at the same time, we need it. Don't we? we? We rely on it for perfectly acceptable things like paying our bills and giving and helping the poor. And so we have a nod 
you would probably say, strained relationship with money. And so what do we do with it? Well, flip over to Philippians 4. This is uh, part of the passage that uh, Dwight read, or that uh, Jerry read for you this morning in our scripture reading. This is just a very, very interesting passage. Um, Paul has founded the Philippian congregation. He is forced to leave Philippi very quickly. In fact, a mob runs him out of town. Philippi is located in a region called Macedonia. There are several cities, and there are, will be, after Paul's done, several churches founded in the region of Macedonia. Unfortunately for the churches there, um, there are several factors, uh, factions of Jewish folks in these regions, in these cities, who do not like the church, and they will do everything in their power to hurt her. And so they form a mob and they run Paul and his co-workers out of Philippi. They run them right to Thessalonica, where Paul stays for three weeks. The mob hears about Paul in Thessalonica and the work that he's doing, the work that God's doing in Thessalonica. They form in Philippi and then go to Thessalonica and run him out of town there as well. But the church has already been founded. And so they run him to Berea where he founds another church. And the work just continues like a wildfire going across Macedonia. The Philippians are an incredibly interesting congregation, though. You find part of what makes them so interesting here in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, starting here toward the, toward the end of the chapter in verse 10. So where we're going to pick up. Philippians 4 verse 10. I'll try to explain some of what's going on here as we walk through this passage. He's, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's, they've sent him money, right? And Paul says, well, I'm delighted that, you, that you've sent this, uh, but I know that you've wanted to in the past, but you just couldn't find an opportunity to do so. Um, this is an incredibly poor congregation. Macedonia itself is incredibly poor. Poor. That's something you need to know at the, at the onset as we walk through this passage. Over the last 200 years, they've been through four civil wars. It's gotten to the extent that Caesar himself has lowered the taxes on the Macedonians because they can't even pay them. When a dictator like Caesar lowers taxes, you begin to figure out something's going on. They're in such dire straits they cannot take care of themselves. But here they are sending Paul money. This congregation, the Philippian congregation, may be in more dire straits financially than their comrades who were just in the world in Philippi. Just the average Philippian um, citizen is in dire straits because of the, the, the civil wars and the things that are going on in Philippi uh, in and before the first century comes along. But the Philippian congregation, if you're a Christian in Philippi, you're on the outs. You've been outcast. You've been pushed away. And in fact, you're no one's friend unless you're in the church. That's where you find your camaraderie. That's where you find um, your, your friendships. Everyone else has pushed you out. And so business um, situations, business offers, uh, and just doing business in this city has become very much more difficult since you came to Christ. Your business opportunities are, are dwindling very, very quickly. And so the congregation itself 
is very, or the city, the city itself is very poor, but the congregation itself is possibly even more so. And now they've remembered Paul, and Paul's grateful for this, although he's going to tell them, don't do that again. Paul, like us, has a strained relationship with money. He appreciates their offering. He appreciates the, the, the financial help that they've given him, but he says, don't do that again. We'll get there. Watch, watch for this. <clears throat> So they've sent him money, and he's, he's grateful for this in verse 10. Verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He wants to set them straight. He, he says, I don't want you guys to think that, that, I'm, that I'm hurting here. I don't want you to think that I'm going hungry, although he is. Um, again, the strained relationship with money. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's actually in prison at this point. And if you don't buy your food in prison in the first century in a Roman prison, you don't eat. It's not like American prisons where they give you three meals a day and it's kind of the law. And he said, that's not the case in a Roman prison. And so he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, even as he's sitting in a prison cell hungry and his activity has been relegated to this tiny spot and mostly to imperial guards who are functioning as guards for him. That's what his evangelistic opportunities have been brought to by this point. He says, I've learned to be content in everything. Verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low. That's the situation he's in now. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I figured this thing out. I'm content, not because I have money, because money's a broken reed, but because I have God. I've learned to trust in him. And he never once lets me down. Which is kind of impressive from a man sitting in prison. Because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. He says, God's never let me down. He's supplied absolutely everything I need. In fact, in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Sometimes we misuse this verse and we, we put it on uh, uh, fields and, and on shirts and stuff. And we talk about it in athletics. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He says, Jesus has given me the strength to be able to be in prison, hungry, abused, and still faithful. Still just as driven and just as focused on his kingdom as I was when he was opening doors for me in Macedonia with you. You remember that story? Um, a soldier, a Macedonian soldier appears to Paul. He doesn't want to go. He's not planning to go into Macedonia. But a soldier appears to Paul in a vision. He says, come over to Macedonia. And God lets Paul in that he has opened doors for him there. And he gets to, Mas he gets to Philippi, the first kind of the entryway city into Philippi. And he goes down to a river and he meets women there who are there to pray. And so they are the perfect people for Paul to start with. These religious people who are interested in God and interested in religious things. And God opens the door for Paul and the Philippian congregation is founded even in, with one of the jailers, the man who beat him when he's in prison in, in Philippi, comes to faith, he and his whole household. And so God really has opened a door for Paul. He says, back when things were good, I was, I was content, I was happy doing the work there, but I, I understand what it's meant to be brought low as well, and I'm happy and I'm content here, and God's still opening doors. In fact, the, some of the imperial guard is coming to Christ because of, God's open doors that he's opening. So Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't, don't need your money. I don't, I don't need it. But 
Watch the but. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. They were partnering with Paul. They were coming alongside Paul and helping him in his ministry by this financial gift. Verse 15. Check out how how much of a burden this was on their hearts. Check out how much they longed to do this. Have you ever longed to do something? We don't, we don't talk like that anymore, do we? Just in our regular conversations, we reserve that for Bible talks. But have you ever longed for something, desired something so much, wanted something so much that you could just taste it, that you could feel it? That's the way these, these Philippians felt about giving to the Lord. And they've been doing it since day one. That's the amazing thing. And that's what amazes Paul. That's what he says in verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So the day he leaves Macedonia, he goes to Thessalonica, right? Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica you send help for my needs once and again. While he was in Thessalonica for those three weeks, the Philippian congregation sent him money once and then at least one other time so that they could help support the work of the Lord that was going on in cities other than theirs. Remember the abject poverty that this congregation, that this city is in. They were giving beyond their means. They were going up and above. They were sacrificing. They were sacrificing giving more than they actually could. Check out what he says in verse 17. Here's the, uh, I don't do this again bit. Verse 17 says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Reading between the lines there, you kind of see Paul saying, don't, don't send me money again. He's not trying to offend them. He loves this congregation. In fact, he's going to call them his crown and his joy. I don't know why exactly he's saying, don't, don't send money again. I think he's concerned, remember the strained relationship that we have with money, I think he's a bit concerned uh, about the appearance of them sending money to him. And, and maybe he doesn't want anyone to think anything untoward about, about him uh, or that he's not content with what he has. Maybe he doesn't want them to think that... Um, he, he needs more. For whatever reason, he says, it's very kind of you to send that. But don't do it again. But check out what he says after that. I didn't want the gift, but I'm grateful for the money that you sent me. Because why? Because it says something about your faith. He says, I'm grateful for the gift you sent, not because it helped me, not because I needed food or because I needed anything. I figured out how to be content, but I'm grateful for the gift that you sent me because of the fruit that increases to your credit. He's saying you laid up treasures in heaven. You want to know how to lay up treasures in heaven? This is how. That's what Paul's saying. You've banked credit in heaven because of your faithfulness in giving to him time and time again. You've banked credit in heaven. It's kind of an impressive thing there, isn't it? Verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. There again, you kind of get this impression. Paul says, I don't, don't send any more money. I'm fine. Don't send it to me 
don't send it for me for my for my um, for my benefit. But I'm so grateful about what it says about your faith. Your partnering with God. Isn't that a beautiful image? You're partnering with God. And that's exactly what the Philippians have done. They partnered with God to do His work, to accomplish His mission. They said, I want in on that. I believe in what you're doing and I want to help in any way I can. And the Philippians couldn't go help Paul. They had to stay here in Philippi, although I'm assuming that they continued the work of evangelism in this city for years after Paul was gone. But they sent him money so that he could continue doing his work. And Paul says, I didn't really want your money, but I'm grateful for what it says about your faith, that you don't trust this thing, but that you put God on the throne. And whatever it takes to continue the mission of the church is what you want. And so you partnered with him. When we give on Sunday mornings, when we do the contribution, we're partnering with God. And it says something about our faith, how much we give. These guys had give above and beyond their means. I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm not saying you need to go broke to do that. But I'm saying we need to trust in him as we think about how much we want to give on a weekly basis. Something to think about, right? Check out what else he says in verse 18. Look at the last, the last couple of sentences here, the last couple of phrases, how he describes their gift. He says it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. They're worshiping in this offering. He views, the Holy Spirit views, our offerings as worship. And so we do it to the best of our ability in line with Scripture. We view it this way. It's really a beautiful scenario for how he wants us to deal with and think about money. He says you don't be attached to it, but you are, aren't we? There's, no matter how far along you've gotten in your faith, there's a part of us that is always tied to money. He says, I'm, I'm going to use this to cleanse you. I'm going to use this to purify some of these things inside of each one of us that doesn't look like him. You sacrifice that to me, and I'll use it to purify you. It's, it's worship. Um, it's the same as, as um, a burnt offering. A fragrant offering. He uses that term several times throughout the Old Testament in reference to sacrifices. And here he even calls it a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Contribution. When we give, it is. It is worship. Let me walk you through some of these passages. Leviticus 1. He talks about what kind of lamb you should bring to the offering. You're familiar, of course, with so many of these Old Testament passages where someone would bring something that was less than perfect uh, as an offering to God. It didn't cost them anything. So 
if you had a, a lamb, if you say you had 100 sheep in your, in your pasture, and they were all yours, and 10 of them had come up lame that year. So you can't take those to market, and you can't, you can't sell those, because nobody wants those things. Um, the broken leg, or, or it's, it's, uh, it's colors off or something. There's, there's something mangled uh, in the sheep. You can't sell those. And so sometimes, every now and then, an Israelite would try to bring that in worship to God. And you know what God said? It's not appropriate. You don't bring your leftovers. You don't bring what you don't want. To me, that's not a sacrifice, is it? You don't bring the things that you don't you already. You don't bring your trash to me and say, here you go, Lord. This is for you. That's not an acceptable sacrifice. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Hebrew, uh, Leviticus 1, verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the, from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it into the entrance of the tent of meeting that he, shall be, that, that he may be accepted by, before the Lord. And he says these things need to be perfect. This is your absolute best lamb. So you look out of, uh, at your hundred sheep that are in your pasture and you think, that's the one I would get the most money out of. That's the best sheep. I offer it to the Lord. And that's not something that... It's something that ought to come from the heart. Throughout the rest of these scriptures, you're going to find that God loves a cheerful giver. And so it's not like these people were looking for the best sheep and then begrudgingly giving it to Him in, in sacrifice that they hated this. This is something that they longed to do. This is something that they wanted to do. Uh, Leviticus 24. We'll flip over a couple of chapters to Leviticus 24. Verses 9 through 13. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. Since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. So, I think I mixed up my scriptures there. That's not the right one, I think. Um, the point being, flip over to Malachi. Malachi is the right one. I know that one. Malachi chapter 3, sorry. I have to fix that. Malachi chapter 3. Verses 8 through 12, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Right after Malachi stops prophesying, the Israelites are not going to hear another word from the Lord for the next 400 years. He's going to go dark on them because of their idolatry and their immorality. They've already came out of exile, and they were white-hot passionate for the Lord. They longed for Him, and they were willing to do anything that it took to be close to Him, to partner with Him. But now that time has ceased again, and they are bringing lame and blind offerings to, to um, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. He says, Will man rob God? You are robbing me, but you say, How? How have we robbed you? He would answer, In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it may, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fare, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. He says, "Test me by this." It's the only command, or it's the only thing in all of Scripture where Jesus said, or where God says, "Test me on this one. You see if I'm going to be faithful." Because you've got to make a decision. Which one are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or money? There's, there's no in between here, is there? And so he says, what you give says something about your faith. says how much you trust in him. But you also partner with him as you give your best. You partner with him to do his mission in our world. And so... I think these are some thoughts that we need to think through as we think about what we give on Sundays, and especially as our special needs contribution comes up next week. Think through some of this stuff. Contribution giving is an act of worship, and we need to do it well. We partner with God when we do these things. And you go back through and you look at the folks in Scripture that have partnered with God, and you find one theme throughout all of them you can't lose when you partner with God you win every time now you may be like Paul in Philippians in a prison cell going hungry but even there Paul says I'm content I've got everything I need I don't I don't need any more money he says that's a that's a false support right there that's a broken read I'm not gonna trust that I'm gonna trust him I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with him I'm gonna partner with with him. Interestingly enough, as you go back through and you look at the, the people who partnered with or who didn't who chose not to partner with God in the Bible, not a single one of them won. You can't lose with them and you can't win without them. And so we try to partner with God in everything that we do. In our giving, in our lives, certainly in our salvation. Because he's the only way. Jesus is the only door that we can enter to get to the Father, to get to salvation. So maybe that's your need this morning. And you need to be saved. You need to be baptized into his name, having your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision. And you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. If you have any need today, won't you come as we stand and sing? Come to Jesus, He will save you. Though your sins and friends and love, if you give your life to Jesus, He will make it white as snow. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus,
Please be seated. All right, I got two things. First one's a point of clarification. Transportation to and from the building is a service responsibility two, which is life group one this month. So if you can help out with that, we're trying to get on a moving train here. This is something that we just started. So if you can help out anybody, see me since Rick's not here and, and we'll get that up and rolling. The second thing is Life Group 3, that's mine and Dickie's group. We will be meeting uh, for the month of November. We're going to meet Friday night, this coming Friday night here at the building. Uh, it's going to be a games night uh, and bring a couple dollars for pizza if you attend that. And we're going to open this up to everybody. So because the holidays are coming up, it's going to be hard to schedule Life Group meetings. So if anybody wants to come to that, please feel free to come and we'll just host it this month. Uh, and if you can't, then your life group leader can host your meeting separately. So, Friday night at 7 o'clock. 6 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard doing announcements, isn't it, Jeremy? <laughs> Good morning, church family. Hope everybody's doing all right. Uh, Chris, appreciate you, brother. Great lesson. Um, a couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, it's going to be an exciting night tonight at 6 o'clock. I do encourage everybody to come. The youth are doing the service uh, tonight. Uh, so please uh, come back tonight at 6 o'clock to encourage our youth. Um, they're doing their lead singing. They're doing scripture reading and prayer. So please come back tonight to, uh, to encourage them. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun. So youth-led service tonight at 6. Um, also, as a reminder to put in your calendar, a special needs contribution on the 20th. Um, you know, Jerry got up here a while back and said, you know, the importance of the importance of the special needs contribution. We had got we got a new roof, uh, which cost a lot of money, which is nice that we can no longer sit in wet spots, and um, also a couple of air conditioners as well. Uh, so, um, so please put on your calendar uh, the special needs contribution next Sunday, and also for the children that are going to CYC. And uh, chaperones, uh, the, November 27th is the last day to sign up for uh, CYC uh, tickets. Um, so please do that before you leave. There's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board for that. Um, we are also currently needing a couple of Bible class teachers for Sunday and Wednesday, and also for Bible Hour for the next quarter, which starts in December. Um, if you can help out with that, please see uh, Jeremy, uh, who just got up here. Uh, that's Jeremy. If you don't know who he is, uh, please see him or, or his wife, Connie, if you can help out with that. Updates are on a prayer list. Uh, remember to continue to uh, keep um, the McAllister family in your, in your prayers, loss of uh, Barbara's grandfather. Uh, arrangements will be this Monday. 
Uh, remember, continue to keep them in your prayers. Um, also, Rod Dunphy's mother, uh, Virginia Maynard, uh, remains in Hospice House at Huntington. Um, her condition is continuing on declining, and the family's asked for us to remember her and her family in our prayers during this difficult time. So keep Rod Dunphy's mother, Virginia, in your prayers at this time. Remember, continue to keep Gary Leap in your prayers as he recovers from his recent surgery. And also keep uh, Gary's brother in your prayers, Terry Leap, um, as he still continues with uh, his stage four bone and liver cancer. Um, also, it's good to see Jennifer here with us this morning again. Uh, Mary, continue to keep her and her family in your prayers as she goes through her cancer treatments and her chemo. Um, keep her in her prayers. Also, uh, keep uh, Terry Egner in your prayers. That's uh, Trevor Egner's father. He still remains at St. Mary's. Um, hopefully, uh, he will start his physical therapy. He had a heart condition, so I know he's undergoing tests and uh, conditions at this time as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock for the youth-led service. Uh, we will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 378. 378, just a few more days. We'll sing the first two verses, and then Brother James Ward will have a prayer. Just a few more days to be filled with praise and to tell the old world's glory. Then with one God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this day. Thank you so much for our many blessings, Father. Mindful of this Veterans Day weekend, Father, we're thankful for all of the men and women that serve our country. Father, put their lives on the line for our security and for our freedoms, for we have the freedom to come here and worship and study from your word without any fear. Father, we're grateful for the ones that have sacrificed their lives on uh, our country's behalf, and I pray that uh, the liberties that we have in this country will never be lost or forgotten or, or taken away or taken for granted from us, Father. Father, we're mindful of those that have been spoken about this morning uh, in needing of prayer for Rod's mom and uh, Gary's brother and for the McAllister family, Father, just uh, Trevor's dad, and uh, just continue to be with those that I may have forgotten, Father. Uh, 
watch over them, protect them, comfort them as only you know how. Thank you so much for this church here at Rome, Father, where we can come together and as family and friends learn and worship together, Father, and continuously grow in Christian brothership with one another. Uh, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, for his sacrifice, Father, because without him we would be nothing, but with him we have the hope of eternal life with you someday in heaven, and uh, we give glory to that. And thank you, some, uh, thank you for all that you do. Be with us this upcoming week. Let our Christian light shine. Uh, may we tell others about you and hopefully come to bring more to service with us here and uh, save more lives. And through your son's name, we ask all these things. Amen. Thank you.